Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles this evening and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We are continuing the study of the armor of God, wearing the armor that God has provided, and being battle-ready, recognizing the, the battle that we are engaged in in this world. We've been looking at various aspects of this and the importance of each of these pieces. This evening, I want us to consider the aspect of the soldier's shoes. And we'll look at that in a few moments from verse 15 and the importance of this. But having the proper footing is important. Back in 1934, there was a football game played between the Chicago Bears and the New York Giants. It was the, the NFL Division Championship. These were the days before the Super Bowl. And that year, the, the Bears, the year before, the Bears had defeated the Giants. Now the Giants were hoping for their revenge and in so doing to win the national championship. The Bears entered the game undefeated. Their record was 13-0 while the Giants were 8-5. But the day of the football game, the temperature was close to zero degrees in New York where the game would be played. The wind was raw, ice made walking and driving treacherous, and the Giants' management realized that their football cleats were not going to provide proper traction on the frozen field. The team captain suggested that they play in sneakers instead. But this was a different time back then. They didn't have an equipment manager with all sorts of different uh, types of equipment available, and they certainly didn't have the shoes that they needed. And so this suggestion, while it sounded like a good idea, not only did they not have the equipment available, back then they couldn't find a department store open in Manhattan on a Sunday. How times have changed. So as the Giants suited up for the field, there was a little man named Abe Cohen who was helping out. Abe actually made uniforms for Manhattan College. And the Giants coach asked him if he might be able to go to the college and get some sneakers for their team. Well, he rushed off, hailed a cab, and went to the college to see what he could do. As the game began, both teams struggled on the frozen field. But the Bears were bigger and stronger, and so they had the advantage. And by halftime, they had the lead at 10-3. to 3. Many of the Giants players had already broken the cleats on their shoes as a result of the, the ice on the field. Shortly before halftime, Abe rushed in with a box that contained nine pairs of sneakers. That was all he could find. It was all he could get, but those shoes made a difference. Now the Giants were able to get some traction on the field, and they actually went on to win the game 30-13. to 13. They scored 27 points in the final 15 minutes. It became known as the Giants' sneaker game. The words, in the words of the defeated Bears fullback, he said they won it with sneakers. 
You know, in sports, proper footwear is important. It can mean the difference between victory or defeat. And yet, how much more so is that true when it comes to a spiritual battle? Having the right footwear, having a solid footing, if if we are going to, as we're told in Ephesians 6, to stand and do all to stand, then obviously footwear is vital. And in sports it's important, but how much more in the spiritual battle? If you'll look with me at verse 15, we see earlier it says that we're to having done all to stand, but it says, stand therefore, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We're taking the stand therefore from verse 14. As it's beginning there, it talks about having our waist girded with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and now having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know, I, I think we understand the importance of footwear. You know, in, in sports, if you walk into a sporting goods store, they have, they have aisles of footwear for every sport and various conditions within those sports. That it's, it's not just, you know, it's not just sneakers. If you, do you want them for running? Do you want them for walking? Do you want them for basketball? Do you want them for tennis? They, they have all sorts of different shoes. And then they have it depending on conditions. Do you want waterproof? Do you want breathable? And recognizing that. Now, now for a soldier, I mean, obviously footwear is vital, but no commander is going to say, you know, try to spear their toes. And yet if they don't have the proper footwear, it can make the difference between victory or defeat. The stability that is necessary and understanding, again, to think of the battle situation in which they would be involved. For, for those in the day that Paul is writing to Timothy, they're going to picture a Roman soldier. They're going to think of the battles that would rage, rage in that day. And, and really, a soldier's life could depend upon his shoes. Because in the battle of that day, there's going to be, the, there, there, if somebody gets falls, they're going to get trampled. And a warring army would approach, and as they would approach, the sky would be filled with arrows. The shields would be used to try to block those, and we'll talk about that, the, the, the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. But those who would be hit would fall, wounded or dying or dead, and, and then more arrows would fly. And when the army that was coming felt like there would, had been enough of this to, to weaken the forces, then they would advance. And as they would advance, they would charge towards each other with, with the spears and swords. It would be stabbing and slashing. It was a gory conflict. Limbs would be severed. Bones would be crushed. Bodies would fall. And in that situation, having the proper stability to stand would be vital. Survival could, be, could depend on your ability to stand. And in the shock of that assault, the pushing and shoving, the last thing you would want to happen would be to slip. You want to have the right footing. The historian Josephus told of seeing a Roman soldier fall on some slippery paving stones and immediately Jews struck at him with spears and swords from all sides because he had fallen. Now, I, I, I give us that picture 
Because we understand that the proper footing, and by implication then, the right footwear is essential both for for defense and offense. But isn't it the case that in our day, unfortunately, it's probably athletes that give more attention to traction and footing than often believers do? That, that they think about their footwear more than we do? You know, one, one article on, on Roman weapons and warfare said a soldier is nothing without shoes. Now, the types of shoes that they wore in that day would be really a hev- heavy leather boot. It was more than just a sandal, though it would have that idea, but it would, it would have leather that would also wrap around the ankle. And part of that was to keep from turning the ankle, to provide stability. You don't want to roll your ankle in a battle. You know, it's bad enough to do it in a ball game. It's much worse if your life depends on it. And so an elaborately cut one-piece upper, laced upper in the front, the, the sole would be thick, and then it would be studded with iron nails. The nails would be placed in such a way as to provide the, the optimum traction in the battle and also to help in the transfer of weight when it was, the foot was planted on the ground so, so that the soldier could be assured of having good grip. And when we understand that this is, this is what they would be thinking of as a Roman soldier, well, we realize there is a spiritual battle raging around us. That, that we don't see it in the physical sense. But it's taking place in the spiritual realm. That if we could see, there would be soldiers advancing and stumbling and others falling. You know, tomorrow morning, thousands of soldiers will leave their homes and go into a spiritual battle. And some will fall. And others will stand. Some will stand for a few days and then begin to lose their footing. They'll begin to to slip during the week. And they won't be able to get the traction to flee temptation, and they will fall. I wonder if we could see from the heavenly perspective the carnage of spiritual lives, the, the, the limbs that are severed, broken bones, crushed lives. We sang, may the Lord find us faithful. We can't forget the truths that we are in a spiritual battle. And what we have looked at, and just as a reminder, and I'm not going to take time to expand, but to keep it before us, that if you are a believer, you are a soldier. Every Christian is a soldier. Every day we're going to go into a spiritual battle, and we will either see victory or setbacks. God wants us to be victorious. But we will only be victorious as we ponder and practice biblical principles. And so we've been considering this armor so that we can be victorious. And we've looked at a couple of pieces. We've we've looked at the belt of truth and saw there are two aspects to that. There's the truth of God that we would know and love the Word of God, the, the God of truth. And so we have a heart for the Bible. And then there's truthfulness. And that's that we live the truth. So we know, love, and live the truth. That we are girded with the belt of truth. The second one we considered was the breastplate of righteousness and and the provision of righteousness of Christ. So we have the the righteousness that's been provided, imputed to us. But then there's also the practice of righteousness that we're to seek to live in a proper way. And this evening we want to consider the readiness of the gospel of peace, having our, our feet shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace, the the footing that is vital if we're going to stand. You know, part of the problem, I think, with some Christians is they don't have their shoes on. 
and how vital this is. Again, each piece of armor that we put on also tells us something about our enemy. Now, you know, to, to walk around in army boots isn't the most flattering picture. But we need that spiritually. Because we are going to be attacked by Satan and we, are, we need the readiness of the gospel of peace. So how can we keep our footing in advance? This is actually a rather difficult verse because it literally reads, and having shod yourselves as to the feet in readiness of the gospel of peace. So the question, okay, how, how does this apply? What does this mean? I mean, why does it say feet shod with readiness or preparation of the gospel of peace and instead of just with the gospel of peace? And what is the readiness of the gospel. And, and why are we talking about peace in the middle of a section on war? We're talking about putting on armor for battle, and now we're talking about peace. And sometimes commentators put out, point out that it seems odd that, that Paul would mention the gospel of peace in the middle of the passage dealing with spiritual conflict. And yet, actually, that is what gives us solid footing as believers is the understanding that when we have surrendered to God, we have come in surrender, then we are on proper standing. Because when we, when we come to Christ, we come on His terms, not ours. So there really is this aspect of, of coming, and that's when we have peace. The only reason there's a lack of peace is the conflict that's raging because of sin and the power of Satan that is set against God. So the sure-footedness that we can have as believers is that the gospel gives peace. You know, that as saved people, we are reconciled to God. God and sinners reconciled through faith in His Son. Or that we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So that, that peace comes by surrender. As we come in surrender and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's where it begins. That it, that it begins as, as we lay down our weapons of fleshly war. You know, that we, we bow in surrender. Somebody has said, God will save a sinner, but not a rebel. Now, understanding before salvation, we, we are in rebellion. But the point is, there has to come that point of saying that we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, that he's in control, I'm not. And I lay down my arms, I surrender. I come in that surrender to him, and in doing so, then we have peace with God. So once again, this, this piece of armor in the battle tells us something about our enemy. And we've mentioned that each piece of armor re, my, tells us something that's in, informative concerning our foe. So what do we learn about our enemy when we're talking about the shoes in preparation for sharing the gospel of peace. Well, I think what we see is that our enemy causes turmoil, unrest, confusion. I mean, that's what Satan does. That, that he wants to cause that, that turmoil un, and unrest. Now, this doesn't mean that as Christians there aren't times of struggle and doubt. But it, but it does mean that the peace of God is present. And that we have a solid footing, a, a sure foundation, as we sang this morning. 
It says in Isaiah 59, verse 8, the, the verse I've given you there, the, the way of peace they have not known. There is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. And so recognizing this, in, in Isaiah 40, 48, 22, it says, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. That, that they don't have that relationship. So what do they have? They have turmoil. They have unrest. They have confusion. We see this all around us. We see people trying to make life work without Christ. And they're trying different things. And so they, they, you know, when some of the things they go into are sin, and we say, well, why would somebody do that? Because they're trying to make life work. And life without Christ isn't supposed to work. There's, there's not going to be that joy. And, and, and some might be fooled into thinking they have peace, but it's a false peace. In fact, it says in Jeremiah 6.14, they, they have healed also the hurt, the crushing of my people, slightly. The word there is superficially. You know, we say they're, they're putting Band-Aids on bullet wounds. It's just a superficial healing. And, they, and how does that happen? It says saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. That's why we have to be clear about the gospel. We can't soft sell what God says about sin because if, if we do, then we're not really bringing them to an understanding of how you can have true peace. See, the true peace comes in Christ, who is the Prince of Peace, the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So, how does this peace help us have the right footing in the spiritual battle? I think there's several things that we can see. How How do we get this? Well, first of all, we have to have peace with God. The peace of God is first of all peace with God. And it comes through Jesus Christ who is the Prince of Peace. The Gospel gives believers that peace, that security in a world of unrest. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is a wonderful invitation to salvation that Jesus said come to me you're weary you're overburdened you're beat down by the cares of this life and I will give you rest and then he says take my yoke and it's like wait time out why would I want to take a burden when I've already overburdened heavy laden but he goes on and says learn from me I am gentle and lowly you'll find rest in me you know, one of the challenges people have is coming to God, it's how, that it, it begins hard. It, it's hard to say, well, how can I, if I do that, I'm going to have to do so many other things. What's going to happen? And like, no, trust Him. He's gentle. He's lowly in heart. There's a meekness, a humility. We'll find rest for our souls. And so recognizing this and understanding the, the joy of coming to Him so, so what happens when that takes place? Well, in where we're, when we're wearing the peace of God, we have that reconciliation. The peace of God reconciles. Colossians 1.20 And by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. So the reconciliation that comes through Christ. 
There's a protection that comes. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing causes them to stumble. It doesn't stir us up, Psalm 119, 165. There, the, when we love God's word, it brings a peace. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And then in, in Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Have you ever had those situations? I know I have where all of a sudden my mind starts going and I'm thinking about all the what ifs. And, and the, well, what about this? And, and to direct it back to Scripture, what does God's Word say? And there really is that peace that comes. Well, how do you explain that? Well, I can't. It surpasses understanding. But God's Word brings that because it protects us. It, it protects us from the assaults of Satan, from the uncertainty, from the difficulties that arise. It's that understanding. It, it, it also comforts us. It brings us security. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That God's thoughts toward us are thoughts that give us hope and a future. We can trust Him. And then Colossians 3, 15, let the peace of God rule your hearts, to which we also are called in one body, and be thankful. So in everything, giving thanks, for this is the will of God concerning us. And understanding how this brings a peace. It, it's also the aspect of sanctification. Wearing his peace sanctifies. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved, blameless at the coming of Christ. And so we're seeing this and then the assurance that it brings. It brings an assurance. Jesus said as he was going away in John 14, I, I, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither be afraid. That's how the chapter begins. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now later on he says again, my peace I leave with you. Don't be afraid. In Ephesians we see that as well, that he himself is our peace. And then it talks about bringing together the Jews and Gentiles. He has made both one. He's broken down the middle wall of separation. So to create in himself a new man from two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile both to God in the one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who are near. The Gentiles who were far off, without God, without hope, without the covenant, and those who were near, the Jews, and they're brought together. And, and who can bring peace between Jews and Gentiles? It's not happening in the Middle East today. I get emails, many of us get emails almost daily of the conflicts that are going on. So where's the peace come from? It's in Christ. And he's brought us together, Jews and Gentiles, into one man, one body, the church. And that's where the peace is. And so what we see is wearing the peace of God does all of these things. It reconciles, it protects, it comforts, it sanctifies, it provides the assurance. 
We understand that's what it does for us. And then by sharing the gospel, the preparation to share the gospel of peace, there's another aspect. Because by sharing the gospel, it communicates what side we're on. When, when people know that we're a Christian, it, it draws a line. It lets them know. And, and the context of the passage illustrates a very clear, practical aspect of this because in verse 19, Paul is asking them, he's saying, pray and pray for me that I may give, have utterance, may be given to me that I might open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. I've mentioned before, I, I, I don't see Paul as one who was cowardly. But he said, I need boldness to share the gospel. Because to share the gospel is to, to communicate what side you are on in the battle. And then he points out in verse 20 that he's an ambassador. He's an ambassador in chains because of the gospel. Therefore, he wants to speak boldly as he ought to speak. Now, when you have the readiness of the gospel, there are many temptations that we can avoid. When people know that we're Christians, like, there, there are temptations that are avoided. You know, there are things we're not invited to. Oh, I didn't know you were a Christian. Oh, you're one of those people. And all of a sudden, yes, you may catch some grief for your testimony, but better to catch that grief than to truly be grieved by falling into sin. You know, sharing the gospel actually has an element of protection. And the more in the world you are, the more we have to lead with that. I remember one summer I had come home from college. I'm you know, in a Christian college. I'm a Bible major, and I'm working for an insulation company. And we're traveling. It's a small company. We're traveling from place to place and, and, and crawling into attics in the summer, crawling through fiberglass and, and wool and, and differences. So, you know, I'm always wearing long sleeve shirts and a hat and mask and, I mean, in, in hot attics. It's, it's just, it's, it's not the most delightful job, but it paid well. And I had a school bill. I'm able to make money. And, and so, but it's not, you know, it's not a real comfortable job. And so the people that were attracted to this type of work tended to have some rough edges, and the guys I worked with were, were fairly rough. One of my coworkers was a, he was a football player. He played for a Division III uh, college in, in Michigan, and, and he, he had a fairly hard life. One of the other guys had, had really gone through some difficulties in life, and this was his job. And when they learned that I was a Christian, I didn't get invited to their after-work gatherings. They didn't invite me to their weekend parties. But I heard what went on, and I was thankful I was protected from that. You know, are there times it's lonely to be a Christian in this world? Of course. But better to be lonely and stand, and having done all to stand, than fall with the crowd. Do your friends and co-workers know that you have the peace of God? Are you ready to share that gospel? There's a preparation of that, that that comes, and there's a protection with that as well. As I said, it's sometimes lonely. I, I remember when I was pastoring in Maine, and we, you know, sometimes on the holidays, we'd have a lot of people there, and I'm thinking, I thought you would be getting together with family and, and, and going to different events, and, and they said, our family doesn't invite us anymore because we're Christians. 
and what they're going to be doing, we're just not really invited to those activities. And so the church was their family. And I thought, what a great testimony because our spiritual family is going to outlast our physical family anyway. But understanding that there are, there are places you won't get invited. I was with Pastor Nathan recently, and he was talking with, a, with somebody who's, who's considering going to a, a secular college, and he said, that's, you know, that's a great opportunity for you, but you need to lead with your testimony. You need to let your friends know that you belong to the Lord and let the relationships work out around that. Plant that flag. That's actually what this passage is telling us that we would have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That we're wearing the gospel. And so we take those opportunities. And recognizing what Scripture says about this, it says in Isaiah 52, verse 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. This passage from Isaiah is, is quoted in Romans chapter 10 when it talks about how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear unless someone tells them? How shall someone tell them unless there be a preacher? And then it quotes this, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The tidings of this. The gospel of peace. And understanding that. Because peace is in contrast to fear, faint-heartedness, anxiety, panic, trembling, despair, doubt, and the restlessness of our culture. And again, we see this all around us. The restlessness that people are trying to find something that will work. And it's the peace of God that passes human understanding. You know, you can tell a lot about a person both by their enemies and their friends. And when we stand for the gospel, it does draw a line. And, and, and then we have to live it because now we've gone public. And that's part of the preparation. That's part of the protection. That they know I'm a Christian. I don't want to hurt my testimony. Now, now recognizing the proper understanding of the peace of God, the peace of God is a biblical confidence that is rooted in God and His truth. It's not based on our feelings. Sometimes we have, it's easy to say, well, I have peace about it. That doesn't make it the peace of God. And, you know, it, it, I might have an inner feeling. And I tell people, you know, when you're, when you're struggling between decisions, once you make a decision, you're going to have a peace because you're no longer going back and forth. But we have to make sure that our peace is a confidence rooted in who God is and in His Word. You know, just because somebody says, well, I have a peace about it, doesn't make it right. I've had people tell me they have peace about something the Bible says is wrong. And, and, and I've counseled people who've said, I have peace when, when they're rejecting clear statements of Scripture. They've elevate, elevated their desires and their emotions above the authoritative, objective Word of God, the unchanging, infallible Word of God. And if you want a biblical example of this, look at Jonah. He had peace. He's not going where God told him. He's asleep in the boat when everybody else is panicking. Not Jonah. He had a peace about it. But it was a wrong peace. It was not the peace of God. And, and when he went where God wanted him to do, he wasn't all that happy about it. 
And I, I chuckled. Somebody had outlined the book of Jonah, and they said when it comes to when he, when he actually goes and there's this great revival, they, they titled that, that chapter, they said, it's the world's greatest revival by the world's worst evangelist. He's ticked. It's like this, I knew this would happen. I was afraid if I preached, they would repent. That's not a good evangelist. We're not signing him up. <laughs> but he had a peace when he was running from God. Folks, we need to make sure that we have the right peace. Because both the Old and New Testament warn us against a false peace. And false peace is deadly and destructive. Let me just give you a couple of verses from 1 Peter. And 1 Peter 5 says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. Cast all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And then it goes on in verse 9 and says, Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect establish, strengthen, settle you. He'll give you that peace. You know, do you think it's a coincidence that Peter speaks of Satan as a roaring lion immediately after he instructs us to cast all our anxiety upon the Lord? I mean, have you ever heard a lion roar? You know, just being around something like that. When, when uh, about a year ago, when Christopher and I were in, in Kenya, we had gone to a, a game preserve, and the, the place where we were staying was right on the edge of that preserve. And, and we got there in the evening, and we're eating supper and looking out, and you can see animals on the other side of the fence. You know, the, the fence was just a wire strung to let you know that that's where the, the, the property ended for where we were staying. I don't think these wild animals cared about boundaries. That fence meant nothing to them. And we knew that because once it got dark, we could start to see animals moving in our area. Some of the deer and other things. And, and so, you know, we, we were there. It was a nice area. And, and we were there one afternoon and I was walking around and I was just kind of looking at the, the facilities. There were very few people there. I think there were probably, uh, probably less than eight people staying there when we were there. So we pretty much had the place to ourselves. So I'm walking around, and, and, they, and you know, I realized there are wild animals here. And we were hoping to see lions the next day, but I really didn't want to see them in our compound. And I'm walking around, and all of a sudden I see something move in the grass. And I look, and it, it had the coloring of a lion. I thought, you know, I don't really want to stay around to find out what that is. I don't think it's a lion. I don't think they would be here. Uh, there's too much activity, I'm sure. But I, I don't want that one to be the exception and me to become the meal. And so I very quickly and quietly made my back w way back to where there were some of those half a dozen people still around. Because lions are are frightening animals. We did see them the next day. On the safari, we were able to see them, and, and they, they were coming, walking right past us, and they, we were in our vehicle. They said, we don't have to worry because they've already eaten. I said, well, that's encouraging, as long as they don't want dessert. <laughs> Do you know, to be around a lion is a frightening thing. That's the picture that's being used. 
Satan is being compared to an animal that could devour. And what is he said? God says, cast your care upon me because I care. Now, be alert. Be sober, be vigilant because you have an adversary. So we need to resist Satan by pursuing and preserving the peace of God. Being in the Word, knowing the Word, and then sharing the Word. Because that protects us. Here I stand. Our footing isn't shifting. And when people know you are a Christian, there are some that won't want to be around you. There are things they won't invite you to. That's part of God's protection because we're in a battle. Abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. So how do we apply this? The personal strategy is, number one, we have to be settled in the issue of our own personal salvation. We have to have that confidence. Because if we don't, there's already a turmoil. Well, I hope I'm saved. I think, I I wish I might be. That, That brings a level of anxiety. We can know. First John, John says, these things have I written that you might know that you have eternal life. Well, when I know that, not based on me, but based on the finished work of Christ, that brings peace. And then to stand secure in the confidence that I belong to God, that whatever comes, all things work together for good to those who love Him. That He is accomplishing that. And then in sharing the good news with others. That there's that assurance. And folks, I I say this because we know these things. When you're here on a Sunday evening, you've heard this. But how important it is that we truly have it settled in our lives. Several years ago, I I received an email from my brother-in-law, Rick Cross. He was pastoring in in Colorado at that time. And and in that email, there was a link. And it was a, a, a link to a video that had been made by a former college classmate of one of his staff members. The man who made the video, his name was Mark. He graduated from a Christian school. He went to a Christian college. He worked in various ministries. He served as a youth pastor, and then he planted a church. Three years before he made the video, his wife had died in her sleep, apparently from a head injury that she had received several months earlier, and everybody thought she had recovered from. They they had no idea, and she died in her sleep. Well, as Mark left the memorial service, the, the... Sorrow just overwhelmed his life. He said he wanted to die. But he remembered something that his wife had said. She had watched, they'd watched the movie Romeo and Juliet, and, and she made the comment, I wonder if she would have made the same decision if she had waited 1,000 days. So Mark decided to take what his wife said as his challenge and experiment. And in his words, he said, quote, My curiosity on overdrive, every impulse was explored. At the end of his trek, he took the insurance money, he traveled the world, he he's said this, but at the end of his trek, although the pain had lessened, he decided that he wanted to go be with his wife. Here's what he said. He said, I hope the insightful Christopher Hitchens isn't right that when we die, it all goes black. Maybe my Buddhist friends are right. If they are, please be very careful of the cockroaches flying around your house. 
Maybe my mom is right, and it's streets of gold and songs to Jesus all the time, and if so, I'm cool with that, as long as, and then he named his wife, is there. And then he said this, I'm at peace with God, and I believe he's at peace with me. I see God as good, I see life as good, I just see my wife as the best. That's why I pick her. And at the age of 38, on the anniversary of his wife's death, he took his own life. He left a website, it's been taken down now for many years, with this video, recounting his experience, his experiment, and explaining his decision. Now, I don't presume to know his eternal state. But I do know those last couple of years, by his own testimony, he was seeking to make life work without trusting Christ alone. He wasn't looking to Christ in his cross, and therefore he was in turmoil. Life without Christ isn't going to work. And when the trials come, as we considered this morning, and they will come, what is our hope? What is our confidence? Knowing that to those who love God, all things work together for good. That gives us peace. That gives us the confidence of knowing that, that not only are we saved, we are also safe. Safe in the arms of Jesus. That we can be sure-footed in our stand as Christians. And that we will have done all to stand. But we have to know the peace of God. And then share the gospel of peace. It protects us. It gives us the solid foundation that we need. So that when calamity strikes, when problems come, that we're not shaken, but that we can trust the Lord. Do you have that peace of God this evening? Let's pray together.